0: with the praise in your throne room and declare holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of your glory. And Jesus, you are in this room. And so where we stand, where we sit here in this place, it is holy ground because you are here. The one who is the I am that I am. The one who was and is and is to come, the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, we glorify you, we honor you, Jesus, in this place. And we thank you for the privilege to give you and to ascribe the glory, do your name to you. Thank you, Father, for this privilege of worship. Thank you for your presence with us. I pray that you would open our eyes more to the glory of your presence that fills the earth, but is also here with us. Speak to us as well. Teach us about your presence. Teach us to walk with you. Teach us to worship you. Teach us to stand in awe of your glory and to increase our capacity for your presence in our lives. So that, Father, you could increasingly set and fan the fire Fan of flame in our soul that we would not be able to contain nor control, even if we wanted to. Have your way among us. Have your way in me, in us, in this place, I pray. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said together, Amen. Amen. If you are still standing, if you would stay standing just for a moment and open a Bible to Psalm 139. And as uh we would read Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10, the children from kindergarten. Through sixth grade would be dismissed for children's church down in the fellowship hall. So, children dismissed at this time, and uh, parents picking up their children down in the fellowship hall. And in honor of God's word, uh, asking you to stand there as we would look at and read together Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10. This is David writing, and he says this Psalm 139, verse 7 Where can I go from your spirit? where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word, and you all may be seated. Thank you for standing for that as you were able. You can remain in Psalm 139, we're going to look at that passage and one other, uh, Genesis 16, in a few moments together as we continue this series on lifting up our low view of God. Uh, We've been looking at the various attributes of God and today uh, we look at God's omnipresence, God's omnipresence. Uh, Tozer, we've been looking at the book The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer and Tozer shares this story and this explanation in his book The Knowledge of the Holy when he writes this. Canon W.G.H. Holmes of India told of seeing Hindu worshipers tapping on trees and stones and whispering, are you there? Are you there? To the God they hoped might reside within, within those stones and trees. In complete humility, Tozer says, the instructed Christian brings the answer to that question. God is indeed there. He is there as he is here and everywhere, though as the pantheist and they would believe, God is not confined to tree or stone but free in the universe, near to everything, next to everyone, and through Jesus Christ, immediately accessible to every loving heart. He is indeed there, and he is here, and he is everywhere, not confined to anything, but free in the universe. Tozer goes on and he defines this idea of omnipresence, And divides the word up as it is in the two root words. Presence or present means here or close to or next to. And omni means every or all. So when we talk about God's omnipresence, we are talking about God being everywhere here, being close to everything, and being next to everyone. God's omnipresence is both one of those comforting and reassuring attributes of God in both good times and in bad that God is present. Even when we may not feel like he is present, even when we may feel like he has forsaken us, the reality of God's omnipresence assures us in all circumstances that God is here. So this morning, we, we see it in two ways. And if you have sermon notes, there are very, very basic sermon notes for you to fill in. Uh, but we see it in two ways. And the first way that we see God's omnipresence is that God is everywhere present. We've said this already, but this is the, the big picture. God is everywhere present. Several weeks ago, we looked at Psalm 139. You may be looking at this and saying, we read from Psalm 139, like if you were we're here several weeks ago and we talked about God's om, <coughs> excuse me, we talked about God's omnipotence and his, or excuse me, his omniscience, the fact that he knows everything. You may look at this and go, well, didn't we already see Psalm 139? And we did see Psalm 139 when we talked about God's omniscience. We did not, however, look at these four verses: 7, 8, 9, and 10. Because These verses, Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10, teach us about God's omnipresence. These attributes of God, his omniscience and his omnipresence and his omnipotence, his all-powerfulness, they're often linked together. You can't have one separate from another. So for him to be all-knowing means that he has to be all-present. For him to be all- Present means he's also all powerful. His power is everywhere. He can't separate these attributes. So oftentimes in the scriptures, you'll see them kind of running together. In Psalm 39, 139 is a good example of these attributes of God weaving together. You can't have the omnipresence of God without the omniscience of God and vice versa because his knowledge comes from his presence. And so verse seven, David again says, where can I go from your spirit Where can I flee from your presence? David declares that God is everywhere present. That there is nowhere in all of creation that we can go to get away from his spirit. There is no way, no matter how fast we run, no matter how far we run, no matter where we go, that we can flee from his presence. We cannot get away from him because he is everywhere. He fills the earth, the scripture says. The glory of the Lord fills, his presence fills the earth. Verse 8, he goes on to say, if I go up to the heavens, you are there. And when David is talking about the heavens, he's not talking about heaven where God resides. But he's talking about the heavens in the creation. He's talking about the, the sky and how the heavens are above us. Talking about the atmosphere as high as it would go up. He's talking about if you fly in an airplane and you're at 36,000 feet, you are in the, the heavens. This is the, that space between the earth and the universe. It's the heavens, the skies, is another way to say this. So he is saying from the heights of the heavens i go up to the heavens you're there and if i make my bed in the depths you are there and in the depths the original language the under the hearers would have understood david to be talking about a place that jewish writers and jewish believers would have understood as sheol And Sheol was the place that they understood as the lowest part of the earth, the depths of the earth, where the dead would make their home. It was the grave. It was as deep as you could go. It's it's not hell, but it is the depths of the earth. It's the grave where the dead would make their home in Jewish understanding. And so what David is saying, that from the highest heights of the heavens... To the lowest depths of the earth, you're there. High to low. And he goes on to say, if I rise on the wings of the dawn. And the original hearers would have understood this as the sun coming up over the horizon. And as the sun would come, light is bursting over the horizon. And The speed of light, and I I can't even get my mind around what the numbers are of 10 to the whatever power of how fast light moves, feet per second and all that kind of stuff. The speed of light. So he's saying if if I rise on the wings of dawn and light is bursting forth over the horizon as far and as fast as light is breaking forth on a new day. And if I then settle, try to settle on the far side of the sea. So from dawn breaking forward at the speed of light to the far side of the sea. So we're talking one extreme horizontally this way to the other extreme as far as the eye can see, as far as anyone can go on the other side of the sea. God is there. High to low, farthest east to farthest west. Verse 10, even there. Even there, your hand will guide me, your right hand. And the right hand is always in the scriptures reminiscent of the power of God. Your power, your right hand will hold me fast. No matter where David can go, God is present. In most of the United States, there is a policy among law enforcement of checking on a stalled vehicle on the highway whenever temperatures drop below single digits or below. So about 3 a.m., one very, very cold morning, a Montana state trooper by the name of Alan Nixon responded to a call about a car that was off on the shoulder of the highway on a road outside of Great Falls, Montana. And as he drove, he located the car, and the car was off on the shoulder, stuck in deep snow, but the engine was still running. So he got, it, he got pulled up from behind the car, he had his emergency lights on, and the trooper, trooper Nixon gets out of his car, and he walks to the driver's side door to find an older man who is passed out behind the wheel with a nearly empty bottle of vodka on the passenger side seat beside him. Trooper Nixon knocks on the window and immediately the man wakes up. But as he wakes up from this drunken stupor that he is in, he sees the lights from the police cruiser flashing behind him in the middle of the night. And he looks over and he sees Trooper Nixon there and he panics. And so what does he do? He quickly jerks the gear shift into drive and he hits the gas. Now, this man's car is stuck in the snow. And so the speedometer climbs to 20, then 30 miles an hour, then 40 miles an hour, then 50 miles an hour, but it's still stuck in the snow. The wheels are still spinning even though The engine has it going what would be 50 miles an hour. It's stuck like a hamster running on a wheel. It's one place. Now Trooper Nixon has a sense of humor. So he decides he's going to have fun with this situation. And he begins to run in place (laughs) next to the car. The driver absolutely freaks out because he believes that Trooper Nixon no matter how fast he is running, is sprinting 50 miles an hour next to his car. And this goes on for 30 seconds until finally Trooper Nixon yells over, pull over, pull over, to which the man takes his foot off the gas, hits the brake, and brings his wheel over. As you might imagine, this poor man was arrested and is still probably to this day shaking his head over the state trooper in Montana who could run 50 miles per hour. That poor man probably believed that that trooper was omnipresent, (laughs) that he could not flee from him. No matter where he could go, no matter what he would do, that he was not going to escape the presence of this trooper, and so he finally gave up. But we know from this story, and we know in human terms that there is not a man on the face of the earth or woman on the face of the earth who would be able, like that state trooper, if that was really the case, to keep up with a car speeding 50 miles an hour because no human being could be present. We would always be able to get away from someone because human beings are not omnipresent. Only God is omnipresent. There is nowhere that we can go where we will be able to get away from God because he is everywhere present. That's the big picture. That's the macro picture. God is everywhere present. But boil it down Even as we sang this morning so much about set a fire in our soul, about Jesus is in this room, there is also the reality that God is immediately present. And when I use the word immediately present here, I'm not talking about me coming to a meeting and I am late. And so as soon as I pull into the parking lot and park, I immediately get out and go in. I'm not talking about immediately in the idea of timing. We can use the idea and the word of immediately as in presence. That I am immediately present. In other words, if I am sitting here, Tom is immediately behind me. His space, the space is, is, his presence is, his location is immediately behind me. And so when I talk about it this morning, another word you might hear and you might use and I'll probably use here is manifestly present. That the presence of God made known, close, immediate, present. The doctrine, as Tozer says, the doctrine of the divine omnipresence personalizes man's relationship to the universe in which he finds himself. This great central truth gives meaning to all other truths and imparts supreme value to all his little life. God is present, near him, next to him, and this God sees and knows him through and through. At this point, faith begins. And while it may go on to include a thousand other wonderful truths, these all refer back to the truth that God is and God is here. We see this many places, but we see this in the story of Hagar in Genesis chapter 16. And so if you would turn to Genesis chapter 16, It's the second passage that we will look at today. Genesis chapter 16, first book of the Bible. Genesis 16, which is the story of the beginnings, the creation of the heavens and the earth. It shows us how sin has come, how brokenness has come into this world, and it shows us about the beginning of God's redemptive purposes on this earth through a man by the name of Abram, who God made promises to, that he would bless him and he would make him, his, his descendants, as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, that he would be blessed and that through him all nations would be blessed. We get to a point where God has made promises that he would have these descendants, but things have not gone as quickly as Abram who later you may know of him as Abraham. God has not changed his name from Abram to Abraham at this point. And Abram has a wife named Sarai, who later God would change her name to Sarah. And so God has made these promises that he will have a child, they will have a child, even though they are highly advanced in years, in their 90s. And so because God has not followed through and fulfilled his promises as quick as they thought, Abram and Sarai come up with a plan to sort of help God out. And so Sarai has a maidservant that was an Egyptian by the name of Hagar. And so it was customary at the time, it was allowed at the time, that a wife could take her maidservant and give her to her husband to sleep with and to have a child with and then that child would be brought in and the maidservant would become a wife and he would be able to build his household through the maidservant of his wife. Now understand this was cultural of the day. I am not uh, uh, giving the thumbs up for this practice. And so they decide this is what they're going to do, and Abram decides, okay, sounds like a good idea to me. And he sleeps with Hagar, and she becomes pregnant. Now immediately, Sarai despises her, and vice versa. So this thing that gets cooked up immediately before a child is ever born, just a child is conceived, and this is already causing stress and conflict to the point that Sarai begins to mistreat Hagar as Hagar now despises her, her mistress, Sarai, and their struggle. And so Sarai comes to Abram and says, this is what is happening, now she's despising me and Abram says, do whatever you think is right. And she turns up the heat to the point that Hagar says, I can't take this anymore. And she decides to leave. This is where we pick the story up in Genesis chapter 16, verse 7. Hagar is fleeing, doesn't know where she's going. She just knows, I've got to get out of here. And in verses 7 and 8, this is what we find. The angel of the Lord found Hagar. Now understand the word for found here is not like the angel of the Lord was searching. This is more the angel of the Lord found Hagar in the situation that she was in. Not the angel of the Lord didn't know where she was and had a treasure map or anything like that. He knew exactly where she was. God sent her or God sent him to her. But this is the situation she found herself in and so it's the situation that the angel of the Lord found her in. Because so the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. And it was the spring that is beside the road to shore. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? Hagar's answer is I'm running away from my mistress Sarai. So you have to feel bad for her here. She's in this incredibly difficult situation because she was simply doing what she was told which was the way that she was should have operated to be obedient to follow the directions of her mistress. She is in this bad situation simply because she was doing what she was told to do. But the omnipresence of God makes his immediate manifest presence known to her. As the omnipresent God sends his angel, the angel of the Lord, to her. The omnipresence became the immediate manifest presence through the ministry of the angel of the Lord. You see, there are times when God's omnipresence becomes his immediate or manifest presence in our lives. It's what we sang about, Jesus is in this room. Whether we realize it or not, Jesus is in this room. It's in those times of the manifest presence coming, the immediately known presence coming, that we become aware, as Hagar became aware, of what was always true. That God, always present, was now made aware to her. Do you see the difference? One is, he's everywhere present. And we kind of understand that. But we don't really see it. We don't, aren't always aware of it. We go throughout our day with maybe the idea once in a while that God is manifestly present. He's out there. He's everywhere. But there are those moments whether it's in worship or whether it's in just divine encounters, where all of a sudden what we know to be true of him everywhere becomes really known in the moment. We become aware of his manifest presence. He makes himself known right with us. And that's what happens with Hagar. For Hagar, she becomes aware that God is with her. Verses 9 through 16 the story continues and concludes with this. Then the angel of the Lord told her, Go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will so increase your descendants that they will become too numerous to count. And the angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now with child, and you will have a son, and you shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard your misery he will be a wild donkey of a man his hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him and he will live in hostility toward all his brothers and she gave his name she gave this name to the lord so the angel speaks to her now she speaks to him she gave the, this name to the lord who spoke to her you are the god who sees me for she now said i have now seen the lord who sees me. And that is why the well was called beer Lahai It is still there between Kadesh and Bared. And so Hagar bore Abram a son and Abram gave him the name Ishmael to the son he had born. And Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him, Ishmael. The angel of the Lord says that God has heard her. And that she should name her son Ishmael. The name Ishmael means the Lord hears or the Lord has heard my cry. Hagar's response is to name the Lord. You are the God who sees me. Because she understands through this encounter with the angel of the Lord that she has seen God and that God sees her. Imagine for Hagar in that moment to hear that God has heard her and to know in that immediately present, manifest presence of the Lord moment through the angel of the Lord that God has seen me and he sees me. Imagine You're running to get away from a situation and God shows up. And he says, I hear you. And I've seen you. And I continue to see you. How is all that possible? Because God is omnipresent and he shows up with his immediate Manifest presence. One final comment on this. Notice how Hagar changes. Hagar was in the midst of running. Hagar was in the midst of doing what she was told to do and things just go haywire. And so she runs. And the everywhere present God manifestly shows up in the angel of the Lord and tells her to go back. You're gonna have a child. His name's gonna be Ishmael. The Lord hears. God has seen you. You have seen God. Go back. Why'd she go back? Did she go back because she was told to go back and so she was obedient? I I think that's true. She was told and so she obeyed. But is that the big reason? Was it just because she was told go back and she was an obedient young woman? I don't think that was the heart of it. I think the heart of it was she recognized in the midst of this terrible situation That there was a God in heaven who had heard her and a God in heaven who had seen her and will continue to see her. It was the encounter with God through the angel of the Lord, the manifest immediate presence of the Lord that changed her. It was in that encounter that she heard what she was to do. And so she responded. But it wasn't just because a booming voice from heaven said, go back to your mistress. It was because God showed up. The one who was always present in, the present in the person of the angel of the Lord said, I'm here. And because I'm here, I've heard you. Your cries have not been unheard. I've heard them all along. And because I am everywhere present I've seen your misery. I've seen what you've been going through. I've seen your pain. I see you. And friends, when we encounter God and God encounters us, when we become aware of what always is true, that he's everywhere present, when we become aware that he is with us and he meets us in the immediate, he manifests or makes his presence known, that is, changes everything. Because now it's not just something that I should do. Now it's not just something that the Bible says. It's something that he has shown up and he has pointed it right to my situation, right to my heart. And that changes everything. I've had so many times where things that I have known but have struggled to do get radically changed when he encounters me. And then he says, now this is the way we go. Why? Because I know he's there. There's something about his presence that takes what is always true and just makes it come alive. And that's why we hunger for, that's why we come to prayer, that's why we come to worship, that's why we come to his word, because we say, I need you, the God who is Everywhere present, I need you to show up now. I need to meet with you. And he loves to meet with his people. And when he manifests his presence, when he makes his presence immediately known, it changes everything. I had a professor in college who told a story of his young, headstrong daughter who wanted to do what she wanted to do while they were at the local shopping mall. And her dad did not allow her to do what she wanted to do at the local shopping mall, so this headstrong little girl said, well then I'm running away so that I can go do what I wanna do. In that moment, he made a parenting decision that he felt he was supposed to and just said, okay, you can go. And let her go. But before everyone becomes very, very concerned at his parenting, he followed along at a distance where he could always see her, but her being little, she could not see him. Over the racks of clothes and over the people that were all around. And so he followed her, always keeping his eyes on her. And there were some times when there'd be people coming the other direction and they would see this little girl walking with no one around, and they'd become concerned, and he would just kind of make eye contact with, with the parent with those adults and say, I'm with her. I'm her dad. Okay. After a while, of her going and having her way and going where she wanted to go and doing what she wanted to do. After a while, it started to settle in on her that she didn't any longer know where she was at and even more where her parents were at. And panic began to set in. This little girl in this shopping mall collapsed on the floor in tears. Her father, who at that moment was behind a clothes rack so that she couldn't see him, stepped out from behind the rack and came over and sat with her on the ground and held her as she cried. And when she finally was able to calm down and know that she was safe in the arms of her father, he whispered to her that he would always be there for her. But... That God is always with her. That he sees her, that he hears her, and that he knows her. There could be a day where he wasn't gonna always be able to be there. And he knew that what was more important than her knowing that he would be there was that her father, the omnipresent God, was always there. And so friends, whether you recognize it today or not, God is present. He's present. And because he is present, he sees you. And because he is present, he hears you. Even if it seems like he doesn't, even if it seems like he's distant, even if it feels like your cries are falling upon deaf ears, he, the omnipresent God, is here. He's with you, and he sees you. And in due time, he will manifest his presence to you. Keep seeking him. Cultivate, cultivate those times where you're with him so that his everywhere presence, you become aware more of it being immediate and manifest with you. And I don't know who this is for, but this just comes to mind that if you've kind of given up a little bit because it seems like God isn't near to re-engage him, Because he is the present God. And even if he hasn't come in the way or at the timing that you have hoped for, re-engage him. Because he is present. He sees you. He's always seen you and he has heard you. And in due time, he will manifest his presence. He will make his immediate presence known to you. He is omnipresent and immediately present. So we are going to close this morning singing in response and even in a prayer of declaration and a prayer of faith that He is the Waymaker. And even when we don't see it, He's moving. He's the Waymaker. And so you may be keenly aware of his immediate presence this morning. Just revel in that. Just rejoice, celebrate his presence. But if you find yourself in a place where you're saying, I'm, I'm not aware of that. I'm not aware of his immediate. I understand he's everywhere, but I'm not aware of his immediate manifest presence. May this be a moment for you just to say, Lord, I trust and I declare my dependence upon you. I'm gonna press in. Even when I don't see it, even when I don't feel it, even when I don't understand it, you're the way maker. I trust you. I trust you. So as worship team comes, Father, thank you that you are the omnipresent God. You're everywhere present. You fill the earth. There's no place that we can go where we would get away from you. Father, I pray blessing over my brothers and sisters today for greater awareness of what is already true and what is always true that you are present that there would be moments like Hagar experienced where you would show up manifesting making known your presence in a personal way and in your own way what personally needs to be heard, those messages of, I've heard you. I've always heard you. And I've seen you. I've always seen you. And I see you now. So Father, I pray for divine encounters with your manifest presence that would bolster faith and would meet and would make a way at the point of our need. You're good. You're faithful. We trust in you. In Jesus' name.